If you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, this morning we are going to be in the book of Acts. We're going to be continuing the, the study that I'm doing through that. We're going to be in verses 12 uh, through about verse 17. We're going to be looking at some things, and while you're turning there, I'm going to uh, I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this morning, Lord, we just want to thank you, God, for for everything that you're doing in our lives. We we pray, Lord, that as as you are God and and you have saved us, you've redeemed us, Lord. You've made a people that we're not worthy. You have made us your own. You have given us a purpose in this life. And I pray, Lord, as we look at these passages, that we could understand more clearly that, that our hearts would be stirred within us, that our minds would be revived. And, God, that we would know the people that, that we are and, and who you have said that we are. And that we might shout forth your praises and we might proclaim your gospel that you would be glorified in this life. And so, Lord, today we just pray that you would get much glory, that your word would be proclaimed and Christ would be exalted. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, we are going to be beginning in verse 12, chapter 5. Did I not say that ever? Wow. Okay, so there's a lot of chapters in Acts. I'm going to be in chapter 5, so if you found a verse 12 in some other chapter, go ahead and get to chapter 5. All right, thanks for whoever said that. What we're going to pick up on this is, it goes back to Peter and John going to pray. And they, they meet a guy providentially there that uh, he uh, couldn't walk, he was crippled. And so there's a healing that takes place. People are rejoicing, and then there's persecution. And so what we see is, is we see outside the church, we see persecution coming from the Jewish leaders of the day who did not want Jesus being preached. And so what do we see in that? Well, we see that when persecution comes from outside of the church, that tends to bring the church together in unity. It tends to bring them together where there's harmony, where... When we feel the persecution on the outside, where do we want to go? We want to go and be with brethren who are like-minded, where we can do what? What we see them do is we see them begin to pray, and we begin to see them praise the Lord, and they, they seek God in prayer. And he says it like this in verses 29 and 30. They said, and the Lord, this is chapter 4, in their prayer, they said, And now, Lord, take note of their threats. Grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. While you extend your hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And then it says, And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Then what we see is from 32 to 37... We see a picture of, of the church in this unity, in this harmony. We see a, a care for one another. We see where those that had plenty, they sold things that they really didn't need, and they distributed that money to the apostles, gave it to the apostles. And the apostles, in turn, distributed that out to those that were in need. But now God is a good God, isn't he? And so much of the time in the Christian world that is around us, especially here in America, all that we want to get painted for us is this perfect picture that in Christianity there's everything's good and wonderful and there's never any problems. But what we see at the beginning of chapter 5 is we see Satan attacks from inside the church. In the midst of all of this unity and all of this harmony, we have always got to be on guard. Justin talked about this in Equipping Hour, and if you missed it, it went something like this. When there's conflict inside the church, it needs to be dealt with. If you are in conflict with somebody today, you need to go to them. And you're maybe wondering which one of them should go. Both of you meet somewhere in the middle. But let's get this resolved that there would be this unity and this harmony in 
this church fellowship, this body. But what happens here is this. Satan fills the hearts of Ananias and Sapphira, his wife. We see that they probably looked at Barnabas, who had sold a lot of land, and he had a lot of money, and he gave all of it to the apostles. And so they said, let's sell some of our land. And instead of giving it all, as they claimed to have done, they gave part of it. And so what do we see? We see this this ugly part of the church. And God doesn't leave this out of his word, does he? No, he doesn't. He wants to he wants to demonstrate some things. And what we see in that is God takes sin seriously. He wants there to be a purity in his church. So if you think that you're going to just wander around and just dabble in a little bit of sin or a whole lot of sin, you're deceiving yourself. Not only are you deceiving yourself, but you're like a rock that's being thrown in a in a in a pond where the water was all still. It's affecting Every part of that body of water all the way to the edges. If you want to allow sin to be in your life, I want you to know it is hindering the work of this body right here. And I will tell you this, God will deal with it. God will deal with it. And here in the early church, what do we see? Well, Ananias dies. A few hours later, his wife Sapphira shows up. She had an opportunity to tell the truth. Did you sell the land for this much? No, we didn't. I mean, yes, we did. And she fell down dead. Out of that, we understand that God in His church requires that we practice church discipline to deal with sin. Not for the putting people out, but for the purity of the church and that people would truly be reconciled to Christ in truth and in purity. So, I said all that to get to verse 12. And in verse 12, what happens is, we're going to pick back up where they had prayed and and they had asked the Lord to extend His hand to heal and that signs and wonders would take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And so in verse 12, it says this. It says, At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. And, but none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. To such an extent that, even, that they even carried the sick into the streets. And they laid them on cots and pallets. So that when, the, when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. And also the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together and they were bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits and they were all being healed. And then it says, but the high priest rose up along with all his associates, and that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were all filled with jealousy. And in verse 18 it says, And they laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. So we're looking at a, at a passage today that is going to deal with a topic that Christians are much divided on. We're going to see that these signs and these wonders were active in, in the book of Acts here in the early church. And I know a lot of us have came out of churches that we operated in those things. Many people here may, may still struggle with, are they for today or are they not for today? Now, I just want to address some of these things. And so, let's just take a look at it. So, the question is this, what were signs and wonders for? What were they for? Well, I'll just tell you a few things, just off the top of my mind this morning. First of all, they were to glorify God. That's what they were to do. I mean... I mean, and I always use this example because it's, it's so stuck in my mind, but when Jesus, when Nicodemus came to Jesus at night in John 3, Nicodemus comes to him and he says, he says, Rabbi, he says, we know that you're from God because no one can do these things that you're doing except God is with him. They were acknowledging that anything like this that was happening, that God was the one that was in charge of it. And so there's this sense that when we see these things, it makes us 
want to fall down and just worship God when we see these incredible, miraculous signs and wonders taking place. Well, secondly, they were for the validation or the confirming of his people, his servants. Which is exactly what Nicodemus told Jesus. We can go back and we can look at things like in the book of, of Exodus when Moses and, and the children of Israel, when Moses and Aaron would go up and they would tell Pharaoh, let, let, God says, let my people go. And we saw the plagues that God did. I mean, God was validating who his people were. Well, the third thing is this. They are actually for judgment of unbelievers. Go back to Exodus. Go back to those plagues. Isn't it incredible how we can read these things? I mean, at some point you would just think that surely Pharaoh would realize that there was something greater than him that was dealing with him. Plague after plague after plague happens until you get to the plague where all of the firstborn in the land die in one night. That wasn't covered under the blood. And yet, what did Pharaoh do even at that point? He hardened his heart one last time. He went after God's people one last time and was destroyed in God's judgment. You go read John chapter 6. It begins with Jesus feeding the 5,000. And then the next thing we see is Jesus is walking on the water. I mean, these are, these are some pretty big things that are happening. Miraculous things. And then you get down to verse 30. And you know what the people say? Well, give us a sign and we'll believe. Give us a sign. You get to verse 68 after everybody had walked away from Jesus in that same chapter. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, will you go away also? Oh, the people wanted the signs, didn't they? But they could not endure the word, could they? And he asked and he says, will you go away also? And Peter responds with this. Where will we go, Lord? For you have the words of eternal life. Fourth thing is signs and wonders, especially in the book of Acts. And this is what you need to really understand about this in Acts. They were always used to validate who God's people were, but it was given as a platform for the true purpose that God had, and that was to preach the gospel to the lost. It's amazing to me today that what has happened to Christianity, the American church, I mean, if you want to get right down to it, the, the church really has one mission, one ministry, and that is to evangelize. In the Great Commission, he says, go to every nation, make disciples of all nations, preach the gospel. So really what it comes down to is preaching the gospel and making disciples. And it's incredible how you can go into a, a Bible store and there's all of these these videos and these books on discipleship, and it's all about how to have a good family, how to be a good husband, a good wife, how to raise your children, how to do whatever. And I'll just tell you this, those are all good things. Those are all things we need to know, we need to learn, we need to be discipled in. But I will tell you this, the church as a whole has failed on, on discipleship, and I'll tell you why. Because the primary thing for the church to do is to evangelize. And most people, maybe even sitting here, have never shared the gospel with one other person. So if your discipleship does not emphasize at the most, at the top of the list, to evangelize, your discipleship program is not real good. So let me say this. What, are, what signs and wonders, what they're not for? Well, they're not for salvation. They're not. God never gave signs and wonders for salvation. And signs and wonders are not to be the object 
of our desires. Now, what do I mean by that? Let me turn over here real quick to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 and verse uh, 17 through 20. Jesus had sent his disciples out and he had given them power to do a lot of things. And then it says, And the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, he said, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. And then he says this, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject unto you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Look around today. Just got a TV. I'd say, I, do, I say this with caution. Turn over to TBN someday. Just watch. Watch what they emphasize. Oh, these men have been given this power to heal and to all these things. And, and actually, that, that just kind of confuses a lot of Christians, doesn't it? I mean, they're right here in the book of Acts. I mean, it says this. So the question comes down to this. Are these things for today? Well, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to say no. They are not for today. And why do I say that? Well, you have to understand this. In the early church, people weren't able to carry around the Word of God like this. They didn't have the New Testament. It was not... The canon of Scripture had not been closed. They had the, the Old Testament. Is that, that's the way we refer to it today. At the time, they just had the Scriptures that were there. It was the law. It was the prophets. It was that. And that's what they taught out of. And not everybody had that. It wasn't like you could run around with just your Old Testament. So how in the world were people to know who was who? I mean, look around today. Look at the, the denominations that we have today. And each one is saying this. We preach the gospel, and then somebody comes along and says, we, We're full gospel. We don't leave out this last part. And if you've ever heard of that, you know what I'm talking about. They kind of add a step to it. And then you've got these people that go around and they go, Well, when all you Christians can figure it out, then come talk to me. Have you ever heard that one? So how is it that we are to know today? Well, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, study to show yourself approved. A workman that needs not to be ashamed. Do you know why most Christians don't even evangelize? They don't know how. I remember one time, this was a long time ago, I was preaching about the Great Commission. This is going to be interesting to you. I was in a church, and we were the only ones getting to go to heaven. Sad for all y'all. And I'm, and I'm preaching about preaching the gospel. Now, you want to know what an alarming situation is when you're preaching that? In my mind, it began to work, and I thought, I don't know what I would tell people. My message was simply this. This is the real church, and yours isn't. Not sure how you'd really go preach that one. So, even then, God was working on me, and He was just like, it was like on the inside of my mind, He's like, really? What is the gospel then? Afterwards, somebody wrote me a letter and said they enjoyed that sermon. I didn't have the courage to write him back, so I don't have a clue what I was talking about. You see, today, we are to... Be students of the Word of God. How God's people today are validated is simply this. It's those who study to show themselves approved. Those who are truly born again. Everybody claims that, don't they? I mean, every Christian claims to be born again in some way, some form or fashion. But then you start hearing all the different ways it happened, and you're like, which one of these is valid? What does the Word of God say? So, 
on one sense, it's our orthodoxy or our doctrine. And on the second step, it's our orthopraxy or our practice in life. I know many people that practice, they, they're on fire for the Lord. They go, or they say that. I mean, they, they do a lot of things, and it's like a lot. They're just spinning their wheels. Because it's like, where do you see that in Scripture? Oh, I don't need that. Just, man, God's Spirit is telling me to do this. They, are, they have a lot of zeal without any kind of knowledge. And on the other hand, we have people that doctrinally, they know things in the correct way. But there is no outworking of that. It's no putting it into practice. So how does God validate His people today? By His Word. By the, the evidence of walking that out. Which brings us to the next point here in, 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 in the book of Acts, chapter, chapter 5. Let's just make sure we're all still in the same chapter. Now listen to this. I'll just start in verse 12 again. He says, At the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. And that was just like a covered walkway. I mean, here's the, here's the church. They're just, they're in unity. And so then listen to this. It says, But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. Now, who, who's this none of the rest? Well, these are unbelievers. Now, think about this. We see the church... We see them in unity. We see them, I mean, we, we've purged this sin out of the church. God does it. He puts Ananias and Sapphira to death. And then what do we see in the church? We have a purity. Verse, verse 13 is, is, is basically, you could say this is about the purity of the church. And what did it do? What did it produce? It says, none of the rest dared to associate with him. Why in the world? Now, listen, but it says, but they held the people... In high esteem. So how on one hand could you esteem a people highly, speak well of them, but at the same time want no part to join up with them? Well, my goodness, look what just happened. I mean, here's the high esteem. These people are real. They're not like those hypocritical leaders in the Jews. They're not telling me to do one thing and then they're not doing it themselves. These people are the real, genuine article. They're not only teaching these things, but we see it in their life. Well, how come you won't go join them? Hey, man, I've got to tell you something. You join up with that group, and your sin comes out. I don't want to deal with that. I want to ask you something, church. Do you think people on the outside, people that are unbelievers, people that know you personally... Do they see this kind of purity? Do they see this kind of holiness in your walk, in your life? Do they, do they are, is it, are you, do you live such a life that people, they like you, they speak well of you? Have you ever been around just really rough people and, and, and there's this, this guy on the job and he is a, a strong Christian? And everybody kind of makes fun of him behind his back. But then they'll also say this. I say, yeah, man, that guy, he's kind of one of them Jesus guys. But let me tell you something. That's the real deal. They'll talk about all these hypocritical Christians, but they'll say, now, that guy right there, that guy is, is genuine. I'm not going to speak. I mean, they won't even speak bad about this particular guy. But how many times do we hear this? Well, I'm not going to enter that church of yours. Just a bunch of hypocrites. You see, in the church, it goes back to this discipleship thing. What kind of life are you really living in Christ? Think about it. What's the book of Acts about? It's about the church moving forward. It's about evangelism. It's about preaching the gospel. It's about teaching others in turn to go and preach and teach the gospel. Bringing people up, training people up. Where's the desire gone to? You know that, you know, it, I'm, I'm not this guy anymore that's going to beg and plead for people to come. I mean, if we do a Bible study, it's like this. If you want to come, I'll be there. But Paul told Timothy, he said, you teach faithful men. You teach faithful men 
And in turn, they will teach other faithful men. And in turn, so on and so on. Look, if you don't want to be there, I'm not going to waste time. Do you know that you can't, you can't, you can keep a person, it's funny to me, I see things all the time where you'll see, I I seen a a commercial the other day, and, and it's in a snowstorm, and it's at a football game at Buffalo, New York. I mean, they, they can't even see the field they're playing on. They show pictures of the people in the stands. I mean, the snow is this deep, and they're all, yeah, you know. I mean, they probably sat there for three or four hours. You couldn't have drove them away. But the next day on, or, well, they skipped church, probably. They probably said, let's go to the game. It's really too much snow to go to church. You, you can't beat genuine believers away. They want to be in fellowship. That's, that's where we want to be. In the times that we don't, just like Justin said, when we have sin in our life, now let's, let's just think about this. Why, do I, why don't I want to be here? Probably dabbling in sin, right? Then let's repent. Let's turn away from that. Let's put our focus on Christ. Let's remember what this whole thing's about. We were lost. We deserve to die under the wrath of God. But God in His love and His... I mean, I really need to add to that. The compassion, the mercy that He bestowed upon each one of us. That He didn't save you because of your potential or because of anything good about you. He saved you in spite of you. And He lavished His grace and His love upon you. How could you want to do anything else? In verse 14, He says, And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, they were constantly added to their number. I want you to think about this. In order for multitudes to be added to their number, preaching had to be taking place. Even though it doesn't say they were preaching, I'll tell you, that's what they were doing. See, God is answering that prayer in chapter 4. Lord, be with your servants. Help us, Lord. You extend your hand to heal and, and to do these miraculous things. And Lord, give us boldness that we may preach the Word of God. They're going out and they're preaching. Now, I want to show you something it's really neat here. On, the, on Peter's first sermon in, in Acts 2, the church one day added 3,000 members. You read on in, I think, chapter 4, and it numbers up to 5,000 members. That's how large the church was in Jerusalem. Now we get in chapter 5 and verse 14. You know what? Luke says, you know what? I don't think we can count them now. He just said there's multitudes coming. Now, I want you to know something, too. This is in light of the apostles being threatened by the Sanhedrin that if you continue to preach this name of Jesus, we're going to, we're going to rough you up. We're going to put you in prison. We're going to kill you. You better not teach in this man's name again. And in spite of that, God is bringing multitudes to his body. And it says, to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and they laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Now, how many times have you, have you seen these, these so-called faith healers, you know, like, oh, my shadow touched so-and-so and they, they you know, were healed or brought to life. Okay, did you catch what that actually said? That did not say that Peter's shadow healed anyone. It doesn't say that. What it says is that there were such signs and wonders and there were such multitudes coming that the people, they were bringing out the sick and they were putting them in the streets. They were laying them on these little bed type things that... That even if Peter just walked by, their hope was that maybe his shadow would just come across them and they might be healed. That's what it's really saying. 
You see, out of these things, what we get is we get all kinds of crazy, false teachings. I was in a lady's house one day. I used to do construction, and I was in this lady's house, and she was a, she's just one of those ladies I felt really sorry for. She was one of those people just going to run over her whole life. She was very timid and, you know, just quiet. Just kind of one of those mousy-type people. I mean, she's a sweet lady, but she was sick. And I don't remember if the Faith Healing Company called her or she called them. And they said, now, you claimed your healing, didn't you? Well, yeah, but, but I... And you could tell she was sick. And the lady, as, as soon as she started to say, but I'm still sick, and the lady on the phone, I could hear her, she's like, no, 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 no doubt. It's in faith. You've got to claim it. And the poor lady's going, I claim, you know. I was getting so angry. I wanted to just take that phone from her and have a little sit down with him myself. Oh, and by the way, yeah, they called her because they were seeing if she was sending her money. It was the first of the month. Signs and wonders, those things, healings, they're not given There's no such thing, church, as a healing ministry. There's just not one. I'm sorry. There's no such thing. The only ministry we have is to proclaim the Word of God. That is the ministry. That is the service of the church. We are to make disciples. You go into a Bible bookstore I even seen on a shelf one time, and I hope this doesn't appeal to you, but it had a picture of a clown on the front of it, and it says, How to Have an Effective Clown Ministry. What we see in that verse, though, is we see this power that God had, they had prayed, and God has granting them power to do these things. We see that the church is, is in favor with the people, not, not the leaders, but with the unbelieving Jewish people. We see that God is giving them favor in these things. And in verse 16, listen to this. Here's another verse in the book of Acts. It says, also the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were, they were all being healed. Now, this was the first time recorded in the book of Acts that we see something taking place that would have been outside the city limits of Jerusalem. People on the outside are hearing about what is going on in Jerusalem. And even though they're sick, and they probably can't get around, they're saying, can somebody please take me in there that maybe I might be healed? Now, another reason. Why why are these things not for today? Well, we get over in chapter 8, and we we read about a man named Simon. He had bewitched the people. He had fooled them with sorcery, made himself out as the great power of God. But when he sees the real power of God show up, and he even claims to be a believer, what is he really interested in? Can you give me this power that whoever I lay my hands on? Isn't that what we have today in all these false... Faith healers. Isn't it incredible how that they don't just go heal people? But no, you've got to come back later, and it's going to cost a little bit of money. Unlike when this whole thing starts off and Peter and John meet, God has a divine appointment for him, for those guys with a crippled man. And this man lifts his hands up and he says, Do you have any spare change for me today? And Peter looked at him. He says, look at us. He says, I don't have any money. Silver and gold, I don't have any. But what I do have, I'll give it to you. Rise up and walk in the name of Jesus. If these these so-called healers, if they're really of God, then somebody tell me why they're not going into a hospital and healing everybody there. Why is that? Now, you look down in verse 17. 
Now, here's the thing. i got to ask you something. So many people, they tell us even today that this Christianity, it's not real. I mean, back then, they're saying, you quit preaching this name of Jesus. <clears throat> we know y'all's story. Y'all say that, you know, after he was crucified, y'all are saying he's alive. And we don't want to hear this. You're, you're, you're just infecting the whole community. Just stop it. This stuff is just false. It's fake. I mean, Paul's whole goal early in the book of Acts was he was going to put this, this heresy to death. Can I ask you a question? If what we have is not real, why is there such a venomous hatred for Christ? Why do people hate the Bible so much? Why do people hate it when we preach the gospel? I mean, think about this for a moment. You go into a country, you're not there to kill anybody. It's like either believe like us or we're going to kill you. We don't say that. That's what the Muslims say, right? It's not us. No, what do we do? We go in and we actually pray for the leaders of the country, just like we should here. And if you're not, then repent. I mean, if you're bad-mouthing Trump, you probably would have bad-mouthed the other one too. Well, stop it. Pray for him. That's what God said to do. Okay? So, we pray for him. What do we do? We, we help those that are helpless. We reach out to those that need assistance. We share the gospel with those that are lost. <clears throat> Can anybody tell me why this would be opposed so bad? Well, put yourself <coughs> just for a moment in the, in the place of the high priest and the, and the Sanhedrin. That was the governing Jewish body. Most of them were Sadducees. Some of them were Pharisees and maybe another group. But there were 70 men on this council and... Look what it says. It says, But the high priest rose up, along with all his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and, and listen to this, they were, they were filled with jealousy. So what they do, they, they laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. Now, why did they do that? Well, here's why. Who were these people? These were the people that were the leaders. They were the ones that taught you what the law said. They were the ones that had the authority of the law of God, right? But who is God validating? We've got these uneducated Jews, these fishermen and people like that. We have Pharisees and we have groups like that. I mean, one of these guys was even a publican. And they're proclaiming that they have the truth. They're saying the way that we teach Moses is not the the real way. And they're saying that our Moses was speaking of this Jesus who we put to death. Man, you go into somebody's territory like that, but how in the world can they argue with these signs and wonders. How do they argue with that? God's not working no miracles amongst them, is He? Not doing that. But here's Peter and John. And so what do they do? Well, the only thing they can do is they can try to stop them. Okay? They can try to keep their mouth from speaking. They can't threaten them. So what are we going to do? We're going to put them in jail. And it says... But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison, and taking them out, he said, Go, stand, and speak. So what we see is we see the the apostles are back in verse 14. They're preaching, verse 15 and 16. We see the power that God has given them. In 17 and 18, we see persecution come back. During the night, even though it didn't say it, I without a doubt believe that they were praying. And then this angel tells them, go stand and speak to the people in the temple. Listen, the whole message of this life. What do they do? They go right back to preaching. They go right back to it. If you're looking for a Christian life that is void of persecution, that is void of suffering for the name of Jesus, you didn't understand what you were getting into. When Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple, and I think everybody would raise their hand and say, yeah, I'd like to do that. Just like the rich young ruler, I'd like to go to heaven. What do I have to do? 
You just keep the commandments. Anybody want to be a disciple? I'd like to be a disciple. Here's all you have to do. Well, deny yourself. What do you mean, Jesus? Just that, deny yourself. We've got a great college group. I hope you're attending college with the mind and the heart that you are seeking first what God wants you to do. And just to be honest, that may not even be college. May not. May. I'm not saying yes or no. I don't know. Deny yourself. And then he says this, take up your cross. We go out on the streets and we do street evangelism. I I do phone service. I walk into people's houses. Sometimes there's an entire wall. I I don't know. I imagine there's 30 or 40 crosses. It's like, you know, hanging on the wall. All different shapes and sizes. Do you understand what it meant when Jesus in that day said, Take up your cross. He was saying, You be willing to die for the cost of proclaiming my name. The most horrible death that could ever happen to somebody. He's saying, this is what you're bargaining for. The gospel is an invitation to come and die for Christ. Whether it is a dying to self daily, as Paul said, or last day of his life when he got his head chopped off. His testimony was always this, he is worthy. He is worthy. Gosh, can you imagine? You know, sometimes I, you know, a good friend of mine put in a resume for a church. I still question all that stuff. But, you know, and what they want, they want to see all the good things. They want to see all this stuff, you know. And everybody puts, oh, I've done this many years of youth pastoring and this many years. And I've got a PH, a BH, whatever H, you know. I'm a master of divinity. All this stuff. Like, oh, this is probably something we should check out. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul's resume? I've been thrown out of town. I've been stoned, drug out for dead. I've been beat, whipped. I've been in jail a number of times. I've been shipwrecked. This guy seems... I mean, I've, I've caused riots in town. They've had to kidnap me almost and hide me so I wouldn't be killed. Well, what church wants that guy? I mean, we're just here to build up the church, and this guy has a lot of baggage to him. I did one one time. I sent a resume into a church. I didn't know how to do it. I thought it was silly, but I did it. So I told him. Told him about the church I used to be in and all this. My friend that went to that church, he says, man, they loved your resume more than anybody. He says, these resumes never say anything but yours. So I sat down with them. They're all just staring at me, and I had to start the meeting. I said, well, ask whatever you want. They said, we want to know about this. So we spent 30 minutes. I just filled in questions on what was it about this. They were just blown away. You see, the church doesn't need professionals, brethren, as John Piper says. We need humble men of God who are called by the Spirit to go and preach the Word of God, who aren't going to back down because there's a little persecution coming. Maybe even to the point of death. But if you want to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus, then learn to deny yourself. Learn to get rid of the sin. Learn to walk in purity. Learn to walk in holiness. And put Christ in front of everything because He is worthy. He says, go stand and speak the whole message of this life. And upon hearing this, they entered into the temple About daybreak, and they began to teach. They have just been put in jail. And they go right back down to the temple, and they are preaching. You know what's going to happen? When the high priest and the associates came, they called the council together, and even all the the senate and the sons of Israel. And they sent orders to the prison house to bring them out. And the officers who came, and they did not find them in the prison, and they returned and reported back saying, we found the prison house, it was locked quite securely, and the guards were standing at the doors, but when we had opened up, we found no one inside. And when the captain of the temple and the guard and the chief priest, and they they heard these words, and they were greatly perplexed, I can only imagine, about them as, as to what would come of this. But someone came, and they reported them, and they said, hey, the men whom you put in prison, they're standing in the temple, and they're 
teaching the people. Then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. Now it's kind of turned on them, hasn't it? It says, when they had brought them, they stood before them, they stood before, they stood them before the council, and the high priest questioned them. He said, we, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. I guess the high priest forgot when the Jews said, his blood be upon us and on our children. Somebody probably needed to remind him those were his words. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. You must obey God rather than men. We can weigh things out. We can put all the pros and cons on a piece of paper. Well, if I do this, here's what could happen. And how many times do we say this? If I only knew how it was going to turn out. When Peter, I mean, when Paul and Silas were preaching, they were on their missionary journey. Somebody says, let's go to Asia and preach. The Holy Spirit said, can't let you go there. Nope. All right, let's go to Bithynia. You know, Jesus said, go into all the world. We can surely go somewhere. Nope. That night in the vision, Paul sees a man from Macedonia saying, come help us. You know what it doesn't say? Paul says, Lord, if you'll show us exactly how this is going to work out, and it's going to be good, I'll go. Here's what happened. They show up in town. There's a lady... Some women meeting for prayer. Guess what? People get converted. Wow, we know God's in this, right? We see a woman get healed of an evil spirit. God's in this, right? All of a sudden, they're in the inner prison in shackles. And Silas looks over at Paul and he says, Are you sure God told you to tell us to go here? No, he didn't say that, did he? It says at midnight, they begin to sing praises and they begin to pray to God. And we see a jailer get converted. If you think the Christian life is this Teflon slick, I'm just going to skate home free, it's all going to be roses and all, you don't understand Jesus. You don't understand the gospel. We must obey God rather than men. And then he says, the God of our fathers, he raised up Jesus. They always go back to the resurrection. We need to always emphasize the resurrection. It's not just that He died for our sins, but He rose for our justification. And if you want to know how you know that you have eternal life, because He says He dies no more. If you are in Christ, you will never die because He will never die. He says, this Jesus whom God raised up, He says, whom you put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior, a leader of the people, to grant repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. Can you imagine the fury that is in their hearts in unbelief? And they said, and we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. If you are a born-again believer today, you have the witness of the Spirit in you. And even though your physical eyes have never seen Jesus, you are witness. When Thomas says, I will not believe unless I can feel the nail prints in his hands and thrust my hand in his side, and he singles him out, and he says, come here and feel these nail prints, Thomas. He said, you, he says, my Lord and my God, he says, you believe because you've seen, but blessed are those who've not seen, but yet believe. That is talking about you. And if you don't believe that, you're not born again and you need to repent of your sins today. Let me leave you with this. 
the book of Acts is all about evangelism in the, in going through. The book of Acts is a historical narrative of the early church. It is not the place that we go primarily to get doctrine. We go to the epistles to find out how the church is to operate and conduct itself. But here's what I want you to know. We can, just from this text right here, what we see is this. God validating His people with signs and wonders. How's God validating you today? Are you in His Word? Are you walking that out in your life? Do people look at you and go, Man, I know there's a lot of hypocrites out there. They claim it, but this guy or this lady right here is genuine. That should be everyone's testimony in here today. We need to be walking in this purity. We need to be walking in the power. What is the power we have today? It is in the Word of God. I don't preach these things bashfully. You've probably noticed. It's not because it's me. It's because it is God's Word. And when persecution comes, what do we do? Do we cower away? We persevere. You tell me who I'm supposed to obey. Should I obey you or should I obey God? You look at... Five points of two, if the last one ends. We don't ever talk about that perseverance. It's that continually going forward. Whether things are really looking rosy or whether things are looking bleak, we're going, we're advancing forward. It's bringing us together in unity. When the attacks come from the outside, we come together. When we see it rising up in the midst, we deal with it. But this church needs unity. It needs harmony. It needs purity To accomplish the work of God. That God's hand, His blessings will be on us. If you don't know the Lord today, I encourage you, come talk with us. If God is convicting you of sin today, as an unbeliever, you don't have a guarantee that you're going to make it to the end of the day. Do not wait. Get right with God. If you are a believer today... And this is not a reality in your life. Yes, those things happen. We get stagnant. We slide backwards. Then it's time to repent. It's time to tighten up our belt and say, Lord, I've been just doing this. I've been, I've been just a sluggard in this. But today I want to change. Then by all means, use this moment today to do that. Father, this morning I want to bow before you and I pray, God, that you would Look down upon us. I thank you for your word. I, I, I pray, God. I pray for everyone sitting here under the sound of my voice, Lord. Even to those that far off that it would reach, that God, that they would hear the message that Jesus is Lord, that he is worth pursuing, that he is worth following, that he is worth dying for. God, help me. Even this morning, my prayer was, Lord, my life outside of here is not lining up. Help me to turn around, Lord. To get rid of the pride. To humble myself, Lord. To seek you with all my heart. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.